Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning. Before we get start, if you are a kid and you're either here today on the church property or you're at home, I'd love for you, if it's okay with your parents, to grab some crayons and markers and a piece of paper. And I want you to draw what we're talking about today during our sermon. We are talking about Noah and the ark and the flood. So you can draw a rainbow. You can draw a big boat. You can draw a family on the boat. You can draw zebras and anteaters and any kind of animals you want to draw. And at the end of the service today, if you're here, I'd love for you to come show me your picture. And if you're at home, I'd love for you to show everybody at the end of the service your picture on Zoom. All right? All right, go get that if it's okay with your parents for you to do that. Now, if you're an adult or a kid, I want you to just think for a moment. When you think about rainbows, can you remember any rainbow that you've seen in the sky, any particular one that you've ever seen that's impacted you? Do you remember where you were when you saw it? Remember how you felt? This week, I was reading about rainbows on the National Geographic website, and it said something that surprised me, um, but it said that rainbows are optical illusions, I mean, it makes sense to me, but it just was surprising to kind of think, oh, this rainbow is actually like more like a magic trick. You know, it's this optical illusion in the sky, and you can only really see a rainbow if you are in this right angle between you and the sun. And I started to think, like, I could be out in the church parking lot looking at this huge, magnificent rainbow, and you could be not too far away just at a different angle and not be able to see the rainbow. And it made me wonder, like, how many rainbows has God hung in the sky that I've just missed because I've not been at the right angle to see it? You know, we are a few days into this season of Lent. And Lent for us is this season where we intentionally take our eyes off of us and our needs and our wants, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's a a time where we put ourselves in the position to see God in a way that we often don't do in other seasons of the year. These are 40 days where we arrange our lives in a way that frustrates our flesh, where we can be less distracted by other things so that we can be more attentive to God himself. We have these daily and weekly habits that we're practicing to help orient the deepest parts of our being to be able to focus on God. And in this world that seems flooded with darkness, these are 40 days where we really try to pay attention to the light. And when we do this, when we intentionally frustrate our flesh, when we pay attention to Christ, what happens is we become more aware of how dependent we are upon these comforts and these passions that we run to for for fleeting pleasure and false security and false control. So the goal for us in the season is to move from being dependent upon ourselves and those things to being dependent upon the one who is so kind and so beautiful that he hangs rainbows in the sky and so powerful that he can flood the earth and destroy sin. And that's what we want him to do in these 40 days in our life. So this morning, as we look at one of the the most well-known rescue stories of all time, the story of Noah and the ark, we're going to see the story of how God hates sin and how he wants to destroy it, and yet how he loves us and wants to be in this relationship with us. 
And this morning, we're going to talk about exactly what kind of relationship God wants to have with us. How many of you are familiar with the phrase DTR? Anybody uh, heard of the phrase DTR? A few of you, the younger ones in the room. You know, I think it came out like 20 years ago when I was in college. Maybe it was before then, but we used it a lot in college. And it's a defining the relationship conversation that I had with a few girls in college who I was confused whether they liked me more than a friend or whether, you know, we were boyfriend and girlfriend or whether we were dating or whether we were just friends. So we had to have the DTR and it's this really uncomfortable and really awkward and hard conversation. But the passage that we're looking at today really is, it's kind of like a DTR between Noah and God. And it's God helping Noah understand, hey, this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. And it's the second main story that we encounter in the entire Bible. The first main story, obviously, is creation. And it's the account where God took darkness and turned it into light. And he took the chaos and he turned it into this world that was flourishing. And then this second main story, the one that comes right after the creation story, the first story, we, we see how God is doing a new thing. Now he's almost doing a, a second creation. And if you feel like the world is messed up today, go read the chapters between the creation story and the flood, Genesis chapters three through six. You know, in it, the first husband and wife, they get in this fight and they blame one another for whoever brought sin into the world. And then one of their sons murders his brother. And then the men begin oppressing women through polygamy. Somebody else gets murdered. And then marriages and families and the whole society just starts falling apart. And everybody rebels against God, pretty much everybody except for Noah. So God brings the flood because he wants to cleanse humanity of corruption. And through the flood, he brings this judgment. He brings this global scale event that puts an end to the death of sin in the world. He's like, I am tired of this corruption. And the flood is, is similar. You know, it's 40 days. It's similar to what we're participating in during these 40 days of Lent. What we want to see God do is we want God to destroy the sin and corruption that's in our lives. And so we're trying to say, God, flood me with your holiness and wash me clean and make me new. Make me flourishing. I don't want to be dying and decaying. Make me flourishing. But in addition to the judgment, that God brought in the flood, God also brought mercy. He saved Noah and he saved his family and he restarts the human race. It's essentially the second creation story and Noah is like a second Adam. And after the flood in Genesis 8, Noah and his family and the animals, they come out of the ark and Noah builds an altar to the Lord and he sacrifices these offerings on the altar. And in Genesis 8, 21, the Lord said, never again will I curse the ground because of humans even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. God is saying, I know humans are going to keep doing what they've been doing. Yet despite that, never again will I destroy the earth like this. Then in the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 9, God speaks again to Noah and his sons. And he says, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. Now, there are a few things that are pretty clear about God. We know that God is unbelievably big and powerful and that he can create the world out of nothing. Did any of y'all watch the, the thing land on Mars this week? What's it called? 
the the rover but it's called something else but we watched it like with our family and it was unbelievable just to see like this huge planet out there that you know something's been flying millions of miles and lands on like god created that planet we know he is massively big and he creates a flood that's big enough to destroy the earth and yet he can stop the flood and he's big enough to hang a rainbow in the sky that is clear about god we know how powerful and majestic and big he is but what else does God want us to know about him from this passage? Every page of scripture is revealing to us the heart of God. So what's he saying here in this DTR that he's having with Noah? He's saying, I don't want to just be a distant creator out there that, that creates these planets. I want to be in a covenant intimate relationship with you, Noah, and with your family and with all of creation. But what does that word mean? Covenant for us is this foreign word that we don't understand in our culture. We understand contract relationships, but we don't understand covenant relationships. We know contracts. We know that's an agreement that you enter into with somebody if you don't fully trust them. Like I have a contract with AT&T, but if the cell towers go down and they don't fix them, then I'm switching to Verizon. You know, like we live in this culture where like, I'll pay you X if you give me Y, but if you don't, I'm peacing out. That's a contract. But a covenant's different. A covenant is not just signing an agreement at a courthouse. It's not a consumer relationship. A covenant is a permanent relationship that nothing can change. Now, in our society, we don't see a lot of those. There's really only one kind of relationship that kind of still exists in our society that we think of in that way. And that's the relationship between a parent and a child. You know, if you were to watch me drop Hutch off at Walmart and just yell at him, set him on the sidewalk and be like, I'm tired of you disobeying me, boy. I'm done. And me drive off. Like, you would like call somebody. You would take me to jail. Like, you'd be like, that's not right. That's your kid. You can't just abandon your kid. Why do you think that? Because God has put us in this permanent forever relationship where like, I'm his daddy. And you know, like that that's not right if I abandon him. And we understand that covenantal relationship between a parent and a child, but we have let those go in so many other spheres in our society. But a covenant relationship is so beautiful because it's permanent, because it's forever. And y'all know, you know what? Permanency in relationships brings incredible freedom. It brings incredible freedom. Imagine how you would feel if you never had to fear being abandoned, even if you messed up big time, even if you did like the worst thing possible and broke that person's heart, that they would never forsake you and never leave you. That's the kind of love that we want our DTRs to lead to. That kind of love is sacred. And it's the love that we were created to be in. And that is what Noah is being offered by God. And that is what God is offering to us. God is promising to be faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. I once read this, a covenant is more loving and intimate than a legal relationship, yet more binding and accountable than a personal relationship. It's a striking blend of law and love. And that's not just an Old Testament understanding of love. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you love me, you will keep my law, you will keep my commandments but this is super hard to convey in our culture today because we want to feel loved 
and we want to feel wanted, and yet we also want an open relationship, and we think that that's what freedom is. We want to limit our risk, and we want to limit the possibility of getting hurt, but at what cost? At the cost of intimacy. We value our individual fleeting happiness over fidelity, but where has that left us? The same place it left our ancestors in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. It left us in this place where we are drowning in our own selfishness and rebellion and alienation and cynicism. But God wants to free us from that and to save us from our false understanding of freedom. So the question is, how do we have this covenant relationship with God? We are not faithful people. We can say, God, I love you with our lips, and then we can break his heart in the next breath. So how do we enter into a covenant when we know we're not going to keep our end of the bargain? Let's keep reading Genesis chapter 9, verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring my clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Eight years ago, I came home one night to our town home at Francisco Place, and I opened the door And I walked in and Natalie was just in a puddle of tears. And she was crying because of something that I'd done over and over again. And uh, our marriage was in uh, an awful spot. And and it was one of the hardest things we've ever gone through. And if you've ever been to one of our Redeemer marriage retreats, you may have heard us share some of our story at those. And and God's done a miracle in our marriage. Um, But... It has been a long journey. Uh, this A couple of days ago, Ash Wednesday, Jason was preaching, and he said this phrase that struck me. He said, may the season of Lent find you broken open, but not broken down. And that's what that, that season that we went through in 2012 was for us. It was a season where God was breaking open my heart. He used um, that trial to, to break me open and lead me to this place of repentance. And so a year later, on our anniversary, uh, I got my wedding ring tattooed on my finger um, right here, partly because I wanted to be a cool and edgy youth pastor, but mainly because I wanted Natalie to know the permanence of my faithfulness and commitment to her, even when I was unfaithful, that, that this was a covenant that I was not going to break, that was even going to be more permanent than a tattoo. And here in this passage in Genesis 9, much like a wedding ring, God gives us a sign of the covenant that he's making with us permanently. And it's a bow. But the original word that's used here is not a multicolored half circle in the sky. The, the word he's using looks more like this. It's a, it's a war bow. It's a hunting bow. It's the thing that you use to shoot arrows out of. It's the thing you use to, to kill things with. And what what God was saying when he hung his bow in the sky is he's saying, I'm hanging up my war bow. It's no longer in my hands. You don't have to live in fear that I will destroy the earth like this again. 
a few nights ago when the ice storm was coming, I started carrying in all this wood. And I told our kids, you know, we're maybe going to lose power. The grocery stores don't have any food, so we can't eat anymore. Um, and my kids are like, ah, you know, they're like getting afraid and scared. And they're like, are we going to sleep in the basement? Like, are we going to be okay? You know, and, and they were kind of like, dad, you're, you're scaring us by, by saying these things. I, I was just joking with them. But they were, they were asking, are we going to be okay? And I imagine that Noah and his family maybe felt similarly, you know, after, after the flood when they would like look up in the sky and they would see a storm cloud or when they felt a drop of rain on their head or when they saw lightning and they heard thunder. Imagine like there would be a fear in their spirit. Like, is he going to do it again? Is he going to send the flood again? And are we going to be saved this time? Like, have we been righteous enough to get back on the boat? Because he told us to build another boat and I'm starting to feel it rain. Imagine they would have this fear But what did God do in the place where they would look to see the rain clouds? He hung a bow to remind them in that very place that this is my faithful covenant promise to you. He said, I don't want you to live in fear that this covenant is based on your faithfulness. He said, it's based on mine. I put my bow down. Look at those verses again and pay attention to the eyes in the verse. This is the sign of the covenant that I make. This is God speaking, that I make between me and you. I have set my bow in the clouds. When I bring clouds over the earth, I will remember my covenant. I will see it. I will remember it. Y'all, we are forgetful and unfaithful people. But God promises that even when we forget him, even when we forsake him, Even when we don't remember him, he will remember us. But how can a just God do that? If he is just, how can he just turn his head? He can't. There must be a consequence for our rebellion. Sin requires death. We saw that in the flood. So how would God remedy this? Years later, God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth. And he lived a perfect life. And he kept every single law. And he was faithful to the covenant with his father. But then he suffered the death that we deserve. Look at this rainbow. Which way is the bow pointing in the sky? It's pointing at himself. Galatians 2.20 says, The son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the, by the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What is God telling us about himself in this Genesis account of Noah and the flood? He's saying that his heart for us could not sit still in heaven. That he loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to be in this covenant relationship with us forever. Even if that means sending his own son to earth to die on our behalf, to pay the price for our sin. And he is inviting us into the ark, into this place of salvation from our rebellion. But the ark is a person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, imagine being in Christ as Noah was in the ark. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Just as God invited Noah and his family onto the ark to be saved from judgment, he is inviting us into Christ 
and his death and resurrection. But what does it mean to be invited into Christ? Well, as long as God is out there, just on Mars somewhere, as long as he is disconnected from us, then we view ourselves as independent beings separate from God. But what does that lead to? It leads to a whole lot of stress and anxiety because ultimately we're the captains of our own boat. And we have to stay in control in order to keep this thing afloat. But when we realize that the ruler of the universe desires to have a spiritual marriage with us, to be in a covenant relationship with us, to become one with us, to live in us, and for us to live in him, it allows us to release that control to someone who can love us much better than we could ever love ourselves. So how do we enter into that covenant relationship? How do we walk into the ark, into the person of Christ? In the Old Testament, when people entered into the family of God, it was confirmed through the practice of circumcision. But when Jesus came, he instituted the sacrament of baptism to fulfill that circumcision. For a believer in Christ, baptism, it signifies and seals a grace which has already been received by faith. Paul writes in Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And in 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, In the days of Noah, the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. The water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. If you're listening today and you've never been baptized into Christ, I invite you to consider going through our baptism class and learning more about this. Come talk to me or to one of the pastors, and we'd love to share with you more about what baptism looks like. It's too much to discuss in in a sermon this morning, but it is a powerful a really powerful way that we can encounter Jesus and that we can walk into this faith and trusting him to be the one who's in control. A powerful way that we can enter into this covenant relationship with him. And six weeks from now, as we do every Holy Saturday, the day right before Easter, we're gonna have a big Easter vigil out in the, uh, in the greenhouse and we're gonna baptize folks. And it's gonna be an incredible celebration. And we would love to invite you to consider being baptized if you've never been baptized before. Because God longs to be united with us. God longs to make us new. I mean, it's the kind of relationship that we were created for. Union with God is the deepest desire of our minds and hearts. And baptism is just part of that process. It's a mystery. We don't understand everything. But what we do know is that this is the way that Jesus taught us in Scripture. Jesus was baptized, and he invited us to to follow him in that. But it just doesn't stop once you get baptized. This union and this covenant relationship with God is an ongoing marriage between us and God. Judson said it a few weeks ago in his sermon that he quoted Christopher West saying that the Bible can be summed up in five words, that God wants to marry us. And just as God made creation new again after the flood, he's inviting us to become new creations and to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to earth. Our marriage with God isn't just for our sake. It's for the sake of the world. Our baptism and our salvation isn't just for us as individuals. We are being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And we live into that transformation. And when we do, two things happen, obedience and freedom. 
These are two words that describe the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. When God is defining the relationship, he said, this is what I want our relationship to look like. I want us to be in this covenant, permanent, forever relationship that is characterized by trust and obedience. You trusting that what I tell you is for your own good, and then you walking in obedience in that. And then that will lead to freedom. Obedience. Why did God give us laws to obey? He gave them to us for our own good. Deuteronomy 30, 15 says that walking in obedience to God leads to life. Disobedience leads to death, but obedience leads to human flourishing. And not just our flourishing, but the flourishing of all the world. But we know that following God's law does not come natural to our flesh. So what do we do? We train our flesh in godliness. We train ourselves like athletes training for the Olympics. Church, let's take this season of Lent seriously because our fasting and our spiritual disciplines help us walk in trust and obedience to a God who loves us better than we can love ourselves. And ultimately, when we obey God, it leads us to experience true life to the full. And then second, freedom. God wants us to be in this covenant relationship with him because he wants us to be free. And he knows that freedom doesn't come from us being able to do whatever we want to do. That leads us to imprisonment. But when we take obedience to God seriously, it leads us to this adventure of radical trust. As I was thinking about Noah, I was picturing him more like Huck Finn getting onto the ark, you know, and pushing off and just trusting the Lord in this radical abandon to life. Noah walked with God. I mean, we read that in scripture that Noah walked with God and that through this relationship he had with God, Noah had this deep awareness of God's goodness so much so that he was willing to put his entire reputation and his entire family on the line and build this crazy boat when there was no drop of water around. Noah put the whole weight of his being into that boat, the whole weight of his family into that boat. And he set sail with radical trust and abandonment. And look where it it got him, to a brand new creation. Why did he do that? Because Noah walked with God. Genesis 6, 9 says, Noah walked with God. Underline it in your Bibles. Noah walked with God. Y'all, if you've not yet picked anything to do for the practice of Lent, I encourage you to walk with God. What would it look like for you to actually physically walk with God? For you to leave your home, phone at home and to take 15 or 20 minutes every day to just go and take a walk with God. The weather's getting nicer, thankfully. I, I just encourage you to, to try it. Last year, during the season, I did it. And I I tell you, it was the most transformative thing that's ever happened in my relationship with God. Take a walk with God, just as Noah did. And when we get to know God like Noah got to know him, it allows us to go through the season of Lent with great freedom. Because when we fail, when we feel too tired to take a walk, when we break our disciplines and we break our fast, when we forget God's goodness, We remember the words that that God spoke in Genesis 9, that even when we forget the covenant, that he will never forget. Romans 8.1 tells us the promise that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I wanna close today with a prayer from John 17. And it's a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And instead of reading it exactly as it's written from Jesus' perspective, as Jesus prayed to his father, I've changed the pronouns a little bit to make it a prayer that I can pray over you 
and over our church. So would you pray with me? Father God, now pray that all of us may be one, just as you are in Christ and Christ is in you. May we also be in you so that the world may believe that you have sent Jesus. Jesus has given us the glory that you gave him so that we may be one as you are one. Christ in you and you in him, so that we may be brought to complete unity in you. Through our union with you and unity with one another, the world will know that you have sent Jesus and have loved them even as you have loved us. Amen.